take it that may not have been as familiar to some. Well, you're going to have to sing it again here shortly because we'll be getting to Psalm 23 eventually at the 10 o'clock. But this morning, I would ask you to turn to that psalm. It's been a little over a year. I don't know where David was a year ago, but about a year ago, he wasn't here with us. They were somewhere, I don't recall. And we actually began looking at the 23rd Psalm, and we looked at the first verse, perhaps we got into the second, and then a little bit later last year in May, we looked at the third verse. This morning, it would be my hope that we will look at this fourth verse. Let's just read the Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, as we come, Father, I know I've brought before you my concern of being here this morning. These are your people. You bought them. You paid the blood price for them. Father, they they need to hear what you have to say, and if they are listening to me, and me only, they can look at just a plain hypocrite standing before them. An unfaithful one that is tossed about often unstable in his ways. But Father, if they hear from your Spirit, and I just become just nothing but a vessel, and Father, your goodness and your mercy will be given to them. Because you are a giver of good gifts. So, Father, I pray that this morning you would be with us, that your Spirit would come. That, Father, that it would just be a vessel this morning. And that your your Spirit would commune with our spirits and teach us. Father, that your Word would be that which we anchor on. It would be our hope and our guide. Father, you would be our strength today, and we pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, as we looked at this passage, when we began to look at it a year ago, I I stated then, and I, I still believe it very much so, is that these Psalms... Although many throughout the ages, uh, in many of the places I've been as a a young man growing up, as a boy, I kept hearing this term, there's messianic psalms, which infers that there are other psalms that are not, I guess, messianic. 
But I believe this psalm is speaking to us of our Lord. It's speaking to us of, of our Savior. And I believe it is also a messianic psalm. And I do fear at times that it is one of those that might be familiar to us, maybe too familiar, that we don't really even think about it anymore. And I was thinking about the song Amazing Grace, so widely known, and yet so unknown at the same time. There are people that know that tune, could maybe sing those words, and not have the slightest clue about how amazing that grace is that's being spoken of. It's become familiar. Well, today, as a reminder, we've seen through the earlier parts of the Psalms and in the morning hour, our normal time, we've been just starting to go through them uh, with the aid of uh, Samuel Pierce as he kind of opens up to us the color, the language, the narrative, the imagery of how the Psalms speak of Christ. And in the earlier Psalms before the 23rd Psalm, we see Christ as the blessed man. We see him as the holy one. We see him portrayed as the perfect one. He's portrayed as the conqueror. He's portrayed as the conqueror of sin, of death, of hell. He's portrayed as the Savior. God even describes him as the Father's King. That's our Christ. But here in the 23rd Psalm, we're going to see him not any less. We're just going to see that picture of the tree. We're just walking around this massive tree, and we can see certain things very particularly from one angle, perhaps. We're going to see him in his pastoral office, the good shepherd, the shepherd. And when we looked at the first couple of verses, we were looking in part at the humility that God would come, the creator of all things, the one of all power, all might, to be expressed as nothing more in our mind's eye as a shepherd. How, how humble is our Lord and Savior. To think that He would come and allow Himself to be pictured that way so we can get our feeble little sheepish brains around this. Just to understand something about how He guides, protects, and leads, and cares for His people. So this psalm, I very much think, is a pastoral psalm. We see him as a pastor, as a shepherd, as one who watches over and cares for his body. But we can also see he has taken this walk for us. In fact, Spurgeon made a comment in one of his messages on the 23rd Psalm that that step that's trodden, and we'll look at it through that valley, those footprints have a hole in them. Is it just using an imagery that our Savior has trod the valley of the shadow of death before us? And when He went, He went alone. We won't. But when He went, He went alone. So as we look at this this morning, I just want us to focus briefly on this, this fourth verse in particular. We're going to go back. It was also very interesting this morning... As we got set up, we were having some conversation about the third psalm that we've been looking at at 10 o'clock uh, in, in the normal mornings. And it does seem like the third psalm is actually quite a commentary for this fourth verse. If we start thinking about what we've looked at in the third psalm, and we'll look at it here shortly. But I want to 
ask a question, a question that I actually was asked this week, and it's, I just found it, God's used it in study and meditation, and it just a, it's one of those mysteries. I was having a conversation Tuesday late afternoon with an individual on campus, and this is an individual, we were speaking of some things, some needs, some issues on campus, and uh, then we, we got into some of the other concerns that are happening across campus at the moment. And then very abruptly, the individual looked me in the eye and says, how's your faith? I wasn't prepared. Had no idea that question was coming. How's your faith? I want to, I want to ask you that this morning. How's your faith? There's a, some doctrinally correct answers. Of course, I'm sure many of us can r- start running right through them. Well, okay, my faith is this and that. Is it? This individual that asked me this is an individual that I would tell you I'm not certain truly knows the Lord. I think this person knows of the Lord. I don't know that they truly know of His saving grace. I would perceive possibly this person has a faith that is theirs. Because if you're leaning on that, you're in big trouble this morning. If it's a faith given to you as a gift, well, that's the faith that we got something to talk about, isn't it? But this person also admitted that they're, they're struggling deeply and, and shared a bunch of things. But I want to ask you, how is your faith? Set aside all the correct answers, all the doctrinally appropriate things. If I were to ask you and you are to ask me, of course, my faith is strong or it's a gift. Um, I've been given that, as the writer of Hebrews says, you know, by the giver of good things. I want to ask you this morning, really, examine yourself. Is it certain? Is your faith strong? Is it fragile? Is it bending, kind of cracking a little bit like the wind in the trees? What is your faith's object? Where is it anchored? What are you grounding it in it? Is it steadfast? Is it truly unwavering? Is it being tossed about? Is it being buffeted in some form? Is your faith being tried and tested? What is your faith's hope? We could keep asking probably questions and probing. But I want to ask another question um, that is just basically thinking of the messages our brother's been giving to us. Are you and I, are we hiding our weaknesses when we think about how our faith is? I don't know. How's your faith? Well, I believe this psalm that we're looking at, it is for the believer. And it's to teach us and remind us of that author, the giver of faith. And I believe this passage has much to do with faith. As in this third psalm, it seems that there is much to learn of resting in Christ. In this psalm, there is much to learn of believing in Him. As we look at this, I'm also struck by the, the parallels if you think about, um, I know the ladies are reading through and studying 
Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And I don't know how long it's been since some of you have probably read it, but maybe it's been a while. I can't remember everything about it. I know David says stuff. I don't know, does he look this stuff up just before he says it, or does he remember it that well? I can't remember it that well. And it's not been that long ago since I read it again. But Bunyan kind of just illustrates this journey. And there's a portion of the story where Christian goes through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of darkness. In fact, I believe he's, he has fought Apollyon earlier in the journey on his way to the celestial city, but the valley of the shadow of death is so dark, it's like he can't see, he puts his sword away. But Bunyan just describes this in a way that I don't know that I'll ever be able to describe it. But it does make us re- remember that we're sojourn- sojourners. We are just simply passing through, which I believe was even prayed this morning. But do we, <laughs> I'm me, maybe, and we wrestle with the comforts, the so-called comforts we find here. They get a hold of us in some way, and we kind of latch on to them. And we sometimes I think we just lose sight and memory. We are passing through. This isn't where our life is going to find its greatest fulfillment and joy. It's just a journey. We're on a pilgrimage. We're, we're going through this life here. We don't have to set our roots down here, thankfully. Well, I also think that this passage speaks more of, even though it seems to be speaking of the end of times, of the physical life, of imminent death, But I do believe it also speaks of other times. And I wanted to read the intro from one of Spurgeon's messages on this. On this particular verse. Spurgeon says, Do you know I had laid this text by? I meant that this choice promise should be kept in store and stock till I came near the river of the Jordan and hoped that then, in my last hours, I might be privileged to enjoy its sweetness and sing with joyful lips, Yea, though I walk through death's dark veil, yet will I fear no ill, for thou art with me, and thy rod and staff me comfort still. The other day I found that I needed to eat this heavenly loaf at once, and did so. Fathers tell their children, You cannot eat your cake and have it too. But this rule does not hold good to the consolations of God. You can enjoy a promise and have it still. Yes, and have it all the more because your faith has fed upon its fatness. I sucked the honey out of this verse some days ago when a tempest howled around me, but its sweetness is there still. I shall enjoy it, I doubt not, when I come near death's gate, but I have had it already sealed to my own soul with richness and fullness of comfort by the blessed Spirit of our God. Would to God that every believer who is burdened and cast down might find it as precious to his own heart as I have found it to mine. This verse is no doubt very applicable to the experience of a believer when he comes to die, but for certain that is not its only intent. It has an inexpressibly delightful application to the dying, but it is for the living too. And at this time, if through any peculiar trials your soul is cast down within you, and you are walking through the valley of death's shade, I pray you to repeat the words of the text, and may the Lord help you feel that they are true. Yea, though, even now, 
I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He goes on to talk about how the passage is in kind of the present tense. It's not a just a past tense, it's not a future tense, it is a now tense, it's a present tense. So as we look at this, a few observations that I want to bring out for us. Some of these maybe are more obvious, and I apologize if they seem so simplistic. As I've been chewing through it, sometimes I need refreshed on some simple stuff. And the first one is God's sovereign leading. This particular verse, though it seems maybe a little bit less explicit than perhaps in the first two and three verses where he makes us lie down, he leads, he restores. God's sovereign hand is what it is that takes us into the valley of the shadow of death. We don't find ourselves there mysteriously lost. We don't find ourselves there happening upon it. It may seem that way to our eyes and our view alone, but God's sovereign hand is what takes us right into the valley. We often need that reminder. He is leading. Not only is He leading, but I want us to just think for a moment that He is leading through that because God always leads us to Himself. Every path that we're on, if we can picture that path that Pilgrim's on, or Christian's on in Pilgrim's Progress, the path is straight away to the celestial city, and it's taking Him to the everlasting promises of God. It takes Him straight into the immediate presence of God. And that's the way God takes us. He takes us through, and He takes us to Himself. He doesn't leave us there. His, his people, He does not leave in that valley. He takes us to Himself. He says He is the way. And He is the way that includes that valley of the shadow of death. Our God and Savior, He is a sovereign God. Well, if we were to try to look and ponder what is the shadow of death, what is this valley... To me, I think maybe should have Brother Mike come and explain it to us, perhaps. If you were to look those verses up, those words up in the Hebrew, they are repeated more often in the book of Job than all the other places of the Bible. I mean, they're repeated several times throughout the Scriptures, but Job has like 10 of the 20 times that it is used in the Old Testament. To me, it almost feels like a word that's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't quite get it out. I don't know exactly how to express this uh, rightfully or accurately. But this valley seems to be my best ability to describe a place of great darkness. I'm talking about even spiritual darkness, not just a dark moment of time. But I believe there are times that believers have expressed it seems that he's taking us into a spiritual darkness. Some of you have perhaps felt that. David spoke of it in the 27th Psalm, verse 3, as though a host should encamp against me, though war should rise against me. 
Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 26, and it's repeated almost word for word in Mark 14, 34. Jesus is saying, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. It's as if there is a, a darkness, a wrestling that he is going through himself. The idea of exceedingly sorrowful is it's so sorrowful that the sorrow itself could cause death. Paul speaks of it. He had wrestlings. He goes to the Lord, you know, whatever those were. But there is the passage where he speaks of, take this away from me. He says, nope. Grace is sufficient. No. I think often if it's, if I look at it for myself, why do I want that away from me? Because I can't bear it. He says, yeah, I know that. I'm not asking you to bear it. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm telling you to trust me because I can bear it. Because I can do all things. You can do them in me. You've got to get to the end of yourself. And you just haven't come there yet sometimes, it seems. Reading of past saints, Spurgeon is one of them. Many of them. If you read some of those biologies and bio, or biologies, biographies of some of these men, these men that God has used in some massive, incredible way throughout the course of history to proclaim His Word, to minister to small groups, to huge groups. Some of these men wrestled with some deep spiritual times. I mean, we read often about their messages and like it seems as if they were on the mountaintop. Yeah, they were in the valley before that moment. And they spent some awfully hard times down in those valleys of deep despair, deep darkness. And if we can use that picture from, from Bunyan, it's so dark. It's like I, I put my sword away. It does me no good. I don't know where to wield that thing. I can't see anything. I don't know if you've been there, but that's the valley that I believe is being spoken of, at least in some part. It could be more. Spurgeon even paints a picture in one of his messages about this. For us, sometimes, what is, you know, I don't know um, how to introduce this necessarily, but he speaks of the evil of evils being uncertainty. Boy, is that us? I can go through this if I just knew. Like, I've got a medical situation, I, I don't know what's going on. The uncertainty of it. Does that create a little stress for you? Boy, it does almost everybody I know. I can't think of any exception. I've got a trial that's pairing on me. It's pressing on me. Maybe it's associated with a loved one, a child. It doesn't matter. Any kind of trial that we could experience and express that maybe we've seen a taste of, a morsel of, or been in it ourselves, was it not the uncertainty that often we caught ourselves so engaged and in, 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 uh, in, um, engulfed in it? Spurgeon was speaking of that. The uncertainty is the evil of the evils. Well, I want to ask a question when I think of that. What is uncertain? And then, if we can follow with that, what is certain? Well, our life, if we're trying to write our own story out there and see what that is, we don't really know how it's going to precisely unfold. I don't know if tonight... Or today on my way home, if I'll make it all the way to my house. That's not certain to me. 
It's certain to him, but it is not certain to me. I don't know. I don't know if I'll make it from right here. It could fall right here in a a moment. I don't know. Anything could happen to you. You don't know. That's some uncertainty, isn't it? But I do know one thing. If he drops me right here and it's over, you rush up and there's no pulse, he's not breathing, it's all good from here. For me, might not be so good for some of you, it's good for me. Because the one thing that's certain is I'm his and he is mine. In spite of all the other measures of unfaithfulness that I've seen in myself, I know that he is faithful. And that's what he's speaking of. Yea, though I walk you through that valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Hmm. That's the certainty. I want to read the other part of the verse of Psalm 27, verse 3, that I didn't read. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, this I will be confident. I don't know if you have a valley. If you haven't been through one, you're going through one. You're not escaping it. It's going to look different perhaps. But he'll take you through it. Because his paths lead to him. He does not take us to the valley to leave us there, to drop us off. He takes us through it so that we can get to Him and see Him in a different way and see Him with different understanding, see Him with deeper and more understanding than anything else will teach us. It appears, and this is my own observation of my own life, the older I'm getting the more I'm seeing how much I think of myself and how much I think of my knowledge, how much I think of my whatever I got and how much he keeps just peeling back a little bit more like, you just aren't all that. I know you think something of yourself, but you just need to let that one go because if I'll take it from you. I need you. He's teaching us to get to the end of ourself so that we have nothing left but total, absolute reliance on Him. And what a hard journey that is. Hmm. I want to ask you, that next passage, that fear no evil, for thou art with me, do you believe that? I know we're going to look at each other and say, well, yes, I believe it. No, I mean really believe it. Can you, just like me, look at this week, just... Just take this week as an example and just see evidences of where, well, if anybody like took my pulse, my spiritual pulse at that moment, they'd say, I don't think the guy believes. I can see that he's not believing. If he did, that wouldn't bother him. Not like it's doing. That wouldn't, that wouldn't shake him. That wouldn't be what woke him up at in the middle of the night. It wouldn't be what my mind circles around and I keep wondering, how am I going to do this? How am I going to solve this? What am I going to do? How's this going to unfold? What will this be like? Nope. If I really, really, truly believed it, what you should see, if you took my pulse, is there's just one more thing he's going to the Lord in prayer about and he's putting that right before his Savior. Don't happen with me, I tell you that much right now. It's not the way it is with me. 
each and every day. There's moments. By His grace, there'll be more. Oh man, do we believe that? Do we really, really believe it? Well, I trust, if I can go back, if it's our faith, let's go and get cracked, broken, crumbled, be like in the crucible, and just made a powder. But if it's the faith He's given to us, we'll see it. And it'll continue to grow, because He's going to grow it. He's going he's gonna to water it. He's going to feed it. And pray that He does that, and we see it in our, in our own lives. Well, I do believe that this valley of the shadow of death, it's a deep, it's a deep and dark place. And yeah, it can be the final run. It could be that which is the final run. And I, yeah, there's, there's the picture that it's very appropriate for us. And natural man's terrified of this place. Man, has he got it? Fear. And if he tells you he's not fearful of it, it's, he's, he's lying. Why is he lying? Because he's a liar. He's lying about it. They, we see it all around us. How does man handle this? Our, just look around. They're, they're doing all they can to make themselves numb to this. They're doing all they can, in some cases, to try to outrun the inevitable so-called or overcome it or delay it. Do all that they can. But the Christian, the believer... There should not be fear. But to the unbeliever, you should be terrified out of your mind. And I don't want to sugarcoat it. If you do not know the Lord, He tells us it is appointed unto man once to die this physical life right here and after that the judgment. And it is not going well for you. There are only two answers when judgment day comes. Regardless of what the nonsense out there says, you are either going to face eternal condemnation or you are going to be with him in paradise forever. That's the only two outcomes. There's nothing in between. And if you don't know him, if this particular psalm, you cannot say with confidence, God, in spite of everything, I know that you made me my, your own and you are mine, you will face eternal damnation. This psalm is for the believer and it's to remind us and to strengthen us. And we have every fear to face if we don't know Him. I want to... I saw something this morning I had not seen before. David had us in Colossians 3 last week. Turn there if you would. Remember at the end of his message... He started to speak to us about that word hid. It's in verse 3. Look at Colossians 3, the first part of that verse. Four words. I think I'm counting right. I'm not pulling our presidential token here. For ye are dead. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of earth, for ye are dead. Huh, if I'm dead, what am I fearing? Your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, 
Who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. I don't know that struck me this morning. Ye are dead. Well, to the unbeliever, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. The believer is dead to them, but alive in Christ. And there's only the shadow of death remaining. The substance has already been taken care of. It's already been dealt with. It's already been conquered. All that's left for the believer is the shadow of death, not the substance of death, because that's been dealt with. 1 Corinthians 15, you're there or nearby. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We go back to that passage in the psalm. Only... The shadow of death remains. The substance of death has been conquered. It has been defeated. And it is no longer our enemy. Fear no evil. We have nothing to fear. I was looking that word up, fear. And in Proverbs 3.7, the same, the same Hebrew word is used for fear. It says, fear no evil. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. Our fear, what fear we have, that reverential respect, the awesome wonder of an almighty God, that's what we have before us. That's what we should have, but we should not have a fear for the evil. I know there are several of us kind of watching, sometimes probably wisely, other times maybe too anxiously, about what's happening in our world. What's going on in these times that we live in? It seems like some bizarre stuff. We got, we can't, who can we trust? Can't trust the media for sure. I'm sure. I don't know anybody in the room that might be trusting the media. I don't know, help you if you are. But if you haven't seen how many lies they've been lying to you about for the last several years, exposed now at the greatest rate perhaps in our lifetimes, they sure aren't on to the truth. I saw a thing the other day said if the um, the news would be interesting to watch if that old statement "liar, liar, pants on fire" was really true, and that would make it kind of fun to watch, wouldn't it? So you can't trust them. There's no like, where's the source of truth? Well, this is it. 
So, well, it doesn't talk to me about whatever. Yeah, it does. It doesn't use those terms. But you know what God's teaching us? I don't care about that. What I'm telling you, teaching you, is I put you in this time. Sovereignly. I didn't make a mistake. This isn't happening around you. You were put here in this time. You weren't put here 200 years ago. You weren't put here 100 years ago. Your time's now. I mean, I look at me, I'm like, there's a lot of things I like. I brought Bob and I've talked about this. There's a whole lot of things I like about some of the living and the history of the lifestyle of the old times. Like, let's go to the mountains, let's get some horses, a couple firearms, and let's just live it out. There's a lot of things about that. I'm like, you know, I think I would, let me try it. I just want to try it and see if I can do it. It sounds really exciting, but God's put us right here. And he put us here sovereignly for these times. Why are we so scared? We forget who he is? Have we forgotten that he's already trod and conquered all that hell and death can actually give to us? We live fearfully too often, don't we? Man, how's your faith? How's your faith? I want to go back to Psalm 3 if we can. I have no idea what time I've spent. This verse seems to be described and illustrated in part in the third chapter or the chapter 3, the Psalm Psalm 3. I want to read it. Lord, how they are increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of my head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I await, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for Thou hast smitten all my enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon Thy people. Selah. Last week when we were reading that, Pierce painted a picture that I think has so much meaning here. He's speaking about, and if you recall, he was speaking about this picture of death and sleep. And how the believer should go to sleep as if it is the final sleep. Resting. As pictured as David is doing, and the greater David, our Savior, did. He, he cried out unto the Lord, and he knew the Lord hurt him. Jehovah. David cried out unto the Lord with Ahibosheth, and he rested at night. It's a picture there for us as well. This is our, the King David, this is our greater David, and he's now instructing us, his people, his sheep, rest. Rest. You cry out, and you rest. But Pierce was speaking of this idea that you go to bed and sleep as if it is your last sleep, the sleep of death. And you go to death as if it's your sleep. Curious, 
if you've ever had the blessing of watching a true saint die. Sounds a little morbid. And I'm not talking about, okay, well, yes, it's all utopia. It's a wonderful experience. That No, 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 no. It's an experience. If you had the opportunity to watch a true saint die, there's grief. There's abundant grief there. It's not the absence of grief. We're trading all that. No, it's got grief. Lots of it. It should be tears shed. There's a resting and a crying out for comfort. But to see a true saint die, one who absolutely knows that they are the Lord's and the Lord is theirs. Like, don't pray to keep me here. You know what Martin Lloyd-Jones prayed? Don't pray a moment to keep me here. I'm going home. Hmm. Have we ever had the opportunity to see that? Would it affect us if we saw and watched a true saint die? No fear. There may be pain, there may be anguish that racks the physical, but the hope is in the eternal, everlasting. I am going to see my Father. Don't keep me here by some prayer that keeps me holding on to this place. He'll keep you. He kept me. He'll keep you. Hmm. Well, lost my place. That valley, the shadow of death, we have no cause for fear. He's with us. He's with us. I also feel like I don't have enough time, not just today, I'm not speaking of this moment, I'm talking about before today, studying, meditating, and really thinking about what all is meant. I mean, I think there's so much more in this passage than what I have described. Maybe He'll bring us back through it. He'll bring me back through it and He'll just keep opening more truth up. But what's He mean by Thy rod and Thy staff comfort me? I'm not giving you a comprehensive answer, but I'll give you this much. I think there is a picture there at the least. We have, as we started this morning, we've seen Christ as a King. We've seen Him as a conqueror. We've seen Him as a Savior. We've seen Him as one who has defeated hell and death and sin. We see Him, and we should be able to see Him now as ruling. And His scepter of grace and justice. Those things before us as a ruler. It's the same being. It's just pictured as a shepherd with that staff and his rod. We do not live in the reign of sin. We do not live in all of those things. We don't live in the reign of corruption. Yes, we're encompassed about with it in our physical here. But our soul, that which gives us life, is truly in the reign of grace. As my brother has been preaching and teaching us grace is a person. If you were to look back in the book of Romans, chapter 5 and 6, verse 
Paul has been teaching and instructing. That man, his federal head is Adam, his natural man. But in the chapter 5, five times, Paul is using this picture of our, our headship from Adam in our sinful state, our natural state, but much more, he says, for the believer, we have all these things in Christ. You can read it. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. But I did want to read this passage in verse 21 of chapter 5. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death. And like, that like, as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in newness of life. What I'm hopeful that might be seen here is that we live in the reign, in the kingdom of grace. And the ruler of grace, the king of grace, is the same that has conquered all of death and hell. He is the one that walked through that valley of the shadow of death alone. And he goes with us. It seems we're alone. And by all rights, maybe there is a sense in which we do feel in that spiritual darkness as if He has left us alone, but He has not. Now, I can't always explain why does He do that. Why does God do that? Have you experienced this, what I'm talking about? I don't know how to describe it, but you've been on your journey and you believe, I, I, I know I'm saved. I know that He has come. And yet, I I can't hear from Him. I can't touch Him. What's He saying? Why am I here? If you haven't been there, I'm certain you'll go. But yet, He's there. He's listening. He's teaching. He's instructing. He's with us. I believe this passage shows us Something of the nature of our King. Isn't it something? Can you imagine? I mean, let's just say, I'm giving my thoughts away perhaps, let's just say we had a legitimate presidency in our country and the president wanted to come, just pick any of our houses, spend time with us, right where we were. Oh, you want to go out in the garden? Let's go out in the garden. Oh, do you need to help shoveling manure out of the, the lot? Let's do that. In fact, let me help you. Let me show you. Now, I'm not trying to like demean what I'm trying to say here, but can we, can we picture that? Are you kidding me? The dude's going to roll in with an army of suburbans and military power like we've not ever seen before, like that close to us, and 
He's going to be armed. Is he going to get dirty? Not a chance. I doubt it. Not like the dirt I'm talking about. Is he going to step into our lives for that moment? Well, it just is so hard to believe. Maybe, maybe he'd do something, probably, I mean, for a photo thingy. So it'd look good. He can get some votes maybe in another day. That is not the kind of thing we're talking about with our Lord and our Savior. No. No, he's done all the dirty work. He's already done everything, and he's telling us, come. For those that are not saved that don't know this, He's telling, he's got to call out, come, believe, come, all you that are heavy, laden with burdens, weary, come. And don't we need to hear that too? Come, come, this valley, I've been there, I've taken you through it. I'm taking you to me at the end of this, just come. So I got a question for you. How's your faith? Father, just ask that you would speak to us. I hope that you've protected my mouth and the words that your people here have heard and that your spirit would speak and that as we leave here, Father, that You would continue to do a work in our hearts and our minds. We know, Father, that without You, truly we know that we can do nothing. That we have no strength. We have no hope. Our very best is nothing. It's a dirty rag. And Father, we ask that You would continue to teach us and instruct us. And oh God, be merciful. We know that we must see that You're a just God. We must understand something of Your holiness. We pray for Your long-suffering with us. Father, we pray for Your loving kindnesses. We pray for the certainty that we have read of and spoken of today that You are with us. Father, I ask if there are those that are struggling Father, there's a part of me that wants to see that struggle, the hardship removed. But Father, more more importantly, would you show yourself to them in it? Would you reveal your strength in it? Because I know that they don't have it. They cannot do this on their own, Father. Teach them that. Show yourself to them. Father, that you would make us a people that truly... Beyond words and expression are people that are trusting You. The Father, that You would increase our faith. Help Thou our unbelief. Father, we bring these petitions before You and we pray Your hand upon them. In Your Son's name, Amen.